Good morning, Hope City. It is so good to be able to worship with you this morning. A couple of weeks ago, we celebrated Easter. And the Bible tells us that when Jesus took his last breath on the cross, that the veil of the temple was torn in two. Now what that means is at that very moment, every single person was given complete access to God's presence. Now I know in this season that we all find ourselves in that we may be leaning more towards God's comfort and His presence in ways that we never have before. Well, God is wanting to meet us here today. He is wanting to remove any ounce of fear that has crept into our lives. And He's not only wanting to remove it, but He is wanting to replace it. And He's wanting to replace it with confidence and boldness. So as we go before the Lord in worship today, let us do it confidently and boldly. Now, I know for some people, depending on your circumstances, you may find that a little difficult to do this morning. And first, let me say, that is okay. If that is you, I would just say, would you please just allow our team just to sing these songs over you? But one thing I would love for us to do is to agree that God is for us. He is not against us. So let's go before the Lord and worship right now and let's do it boldly and confidently.
That is who you are Cause even when I don't see it, you're working Even when I don't feel it, you're working You never stop, you never stop working You never stop, you never stop working Even when I don't see it, you're working even when I don't feel it, you're working. You never stop, you never stop working. You never stop, you never stop working. Even when I don't see it, you're working. Even when I don't feel it, you're working. You never stop, you never stop working. You never stop, you never stop working. Oh, even when I don't see it, you're working. surrender our hearts this morning to trust you completely to know that we know that we know just like the song says God even when we don't see it you are working God you are in control you see where we are right now you're the God who is with us and your word has made that abundantly clear you are a very, very, very interested God in your creation. And so God, this morning, we just thank you for this love that you have for us. And God, we take that, that love that we've seen, that we know, that we felt, God, and we just adore you for your goodness, for your mercy. God, thank you for making a way for us today. God, thank you for making, us, making a way for us in the days ahead. God, we haven't even got there yet, but we know that you're there and you're good. And so, God, we are believing that this morning. We trust you completely. Thank you, God. Amen. We're going to continue in worship right now. And I know that we're several weeks into doing things digital. And I know it can be really strange, but if I had time this morning and maybe over the next several weeks and months, you're gonna to get to hear stories of people's generosity. But worship and giving and being generous 
It's just how God created us to be. And so right now, we're going to give you the opportunity to give, to be obedient, to be generous. You can do that three ways here at Hope City. You can do that online. You can do that on your phone or your tablet. Or you can do that by mailing a check in. We check that mailbox on a daily basis. And so I just want to say thank you to every single one of you who have been so generous over this season. We're also very grateful and we're very blessed. I'm honored to have one of my friends, one of Hope City's dear friends, sharing God's word with you today. His name is Bryce Kinney, and some of you may know him as the Mohawk Warrior. And so without any more delay, why don't you give your attention to Bryce as he gives us God's word today. An incredible freestyle moment for Bryce Kenny. His night is tonight. Bryce Kenny will get the win. Great job for the great Cook Mohawk Warrior. Bryce Kenny, great Cook Mohawk Warrior on top of the leaderboard. Mohawk Nation has taken the Monster Jam World by storm. Hello, Hope City family. This is Bryce Kenny. I am so excited to be speaking with you this morning. I know I'm not Pastor Scott. I uh, don't know if he could rock a mohawk or not. I'm not even sure that I can rock a mohawk. It is longer than it's ever been, and it's normally purple. Uh, so a lot of you that may have seen me around church, if you've ever seen a guy walk around with a purple mohawk, that was me, all right? Um, I'm so excited to be speaking with you guys. Uh, Pastor Scott and I, we've had so many great conversations over the last year or two, and most of our conversations have taken place in a coffee shop uh, or just sitting there at church hanging out as Christian brothers and, and, and really talking about life, talking about what it looks like to be in the world and not of the world, right? Be, being in the world and still having the passion for ministry, the passion for Jesus, and, and, and how to incorporate our life uh, into being that person that is, is all about bringing more people into the kingdom of Jesus while still having to balance the day-to-day -day grind that we all experience. And so um, I, I've realized one thing, and this is what I want to talk about this morning for each of all of you, is what it looks like to become spiritually bold. Okay, boldness can take a, a, a number of different forms of meanings. When you hear that word, I don't know what comes into mind. Sometimes it's the loud person. Sometimes it, it's the person that, that uh, may not have much of a filter and, and they get credit for being bold. I don't think that's what boldness is. Uh, when you think about spiritual boldness, I, it, it's, you, maybe you, you, you have that idea of the person that's willing to share their testimony, to, willing to share their faith to a total stranger. I think that would certainly apply. But my whole life so far has felt like I am trying to continue to build my own spiritual boldness and my relationship, my conversations with God uh, include quite a bit of that, of saying, God, teach me how to become more bold in this way. Uh, open doors, open opportunities for me to become more and more bold for you. And so I want to talk about that this morning. So we're going to live for just a minute in the book of Acts. Uh, if you've got your Bible, I'm reading from the Holman Christian Standard Bible, by the way. There's a, it's a nice uh, apologetic study Bible. I'd encourage this for any of you. Uh, a lot of the leading apologists uh, in the Christian faith have come and, and they write a bunch of excerpts in this uh, book. So I really, really like it. 
But we're going to talk in Acts 4, chapter 13 first, okay? And this is Peter and John, and they've just been stuck. They, they, they've been going through, they've been doing a bunch of ministry. They've been arrested, right? They're getting persecuted. And uh, these are people that they were uh, trying to witness to. They said, when they observed the boldness of Peter and John and realized that they were uneducated and untrained men, they were amazed and knew that they had been with Jesus. And since they saw the man who had been healed standing with them, they had nothing to say in response. And I, I have lived on that verse because when it, for some reason, and even here in, in my Bible, I, I circled uneducated and untrained because there was a time in my life when I felt like to qualify for uh, uh, preaching the gospel, you know, I was, when I became a Christian my junior year of high school, I, I really thought about going into seminary. I, I thought about becoming a pastor and pastoring a church, and I quickly realized within about 12 to 18 months after that that I, don't, I didn't think I was being called into pastoring a church in and of itself. And, but I, I hung on to that, those words because there's nothing. I'm not against seminary, certainly not. I'm certainly not against Christian education. All those things are, are so wonderful. But I think there's too many Christians that are in the church today that think that if they don't go through some sort of formal education, that they are not qualified to share the love of Jesus. And I've hung on to that verse right there because here's what I've realized. The world, when they meet a Christian, they seem to know who has an authentic relationship with Jesus and who doesn't. And they are attracted to those people. And so my prayer has always been, God, you know, uh, continue to reveal yourself to me. Uh, teach me your nature because I want, whenever I'm with somebody that's not a Christian, I want them to know that I've been with you. I've been with the Father, right? Um, the second, a uh, little bit past that verse, go up to, to chapter 29, and this has been my prayer for boldness. So this is still Peter and John, and this is what their prayer was in the midst of all this persecution, okay? And I think it's going to encourage a lot of you, and this is my daily prayer. I think it's, on, I think it's been on my Instagram bio for a, a, a long time even. And now, Lord, consider their threats and grant that your slaves may speak your message with complete boldness. While you stretch out your hand for healing signs and wonders to be performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. That's a prayer right there that, that we all have got to be continuing to have on the tip of our tongues, especially in the world that we live in today. Acts 4, 29 through 30, okay? So my background, my history in, in the church, my testimony, and you may have heard it in the video uh, that Hope City posted a couple days ago, but I grew up in a Christian home, Christian school. You almost had to convince me that I wasn't saved first before I actually found uh, the gospel of Jesus, to be honest with you. And I think a lot of Christians are probably in that boat a lot of times. But growing up, to my credit, I will say... Uh, I did have a, a level of boldness that may not have been spiritual boldness, but I was the one willing to raise my hand and ask the hard questions. Okay, I've always been that way. I'm that, I'm that way today. And if it ruffles feathers sometimes, uh, you know, I can't control that aspect. But I, I, even in my uh, last corporate job, I had a senior vice president that said, Bryce, I like you because you'll, you, you ask all the hard questions, uh, even the stupid ones. And, and I kind of sat there for a minute too, and I thought, well, the problem was, is I didn't know what those stupid questions were that I had been asking. But I'm willing to ask whatever question is for me to really fully understand. And one of the questions that I, had, I remember asking about a, a story in the Bible, and it had to do with uh, the, the story that we all know about Jesus calming the storm. 
Jesus had been preaching all day long. He'd been giving of himself. He'd been serving uh, people on the shore uh, there near Galilee, in the Sea of Galilee. And he gets in the boat, and he goes to sleep on the front of this boat. And he's with his disciples, and, he, and, and they're, they're going out in the middle of the, uh, the Sea of Galilee, and this massive storm comes up. You guys all know the story. And the, the, the waves were crashing over into the boat. And, and Jesus is asleep. And these are professional fishermen that are in the boat with them. And, and, and they think they're going to die. And they walk up to the front or they run up to the front and they wake up Jesus. They say, Master, Master, don't you care about us? We're about to die. And Jesus gets up. He immediately rebukes the wind and the waves. It tells it to be completely calm. And then, though, he rebukes his disciples and says, Oh, ye of little faith, when are you going to learn? And to me, that really bothered me, okay? I know that you'd, you might need to, to take everything at surface value. I was the one that raised my hand and said, Doesn't it seem a little bit harsh that Jesus, when these guys thought that they were going to die, he stood up and he rebuked them? And, and I think you can interpret that a number of different ways. Oh, we should just always know that we're going to be safe. And, you know, I love the Chronicles of Narnia where, when it talks about Aslan, the lion, and he says, you know, Aslan is good, but he's not safe. Uh, you know, there's no guarantee that, of, of safety in our Christian walk. Just read scripture and, and, and see the risks that we are all going into. And, and that, quite honestly, that boldness can sometimes uh, invite into our lives, to be fair. But I, I really started reading more of that excerpt from Mark 4, okay? And uh, if you were to open up Mark 4, I'm going to read a couple things. But there's, there's something very important at the beginning of that story that I didn't realize before. Said Mark chapter 4, verse 35. On that day when evening had come, he told them, let's cross over to the other side of the sea. So they left the crowd and they took him along since he was already in the boat. And other boats were with him. A fierce windstorm arose and the waves were breaking over the boat so the boat was already being swamped. But he was in the stern. He was sleeping on the cushion. So they woke him up and they said, teacher, don't you care that we're going to die? And he got up, he rebuked the wind and the sea and he said, silence, be still. The wind ceased. There was a great calm. Then he said to them, why are you fearful? Do you still have no faith? And he had just been preaching to, to the masses all day long to that. And, and, and obviously he was, he was frustrated. And they were terrified and they asked one another, who then is this? Even the wind and the sea obey him. Go back to the very first verse in that, okay? And he, and he told them, let's cross over to the other side of the sea. This is monumentally important. You see, Jesus told them where they were going. Jesus told them, we are crossing the sea. Let's go over there to that shoreline. He had spoken that into their lives. That's why he was frustrated. You see, I believe that God is constantly speaking creation into our stories, into our lives. But we have got to hold on to the spoken word of Jesus and what he has called you to do and what he has called me to do because the circumstances of our lives may change, but the calling of the Lord never does. And so he said, let's go over there to the other side of the sea. And they're out in the middle. And that's why he was able to sleep on the boat and go to sleep and sleep in the midst of this ridiculous storm was because he spoke that and he knew that it was going to come to pass no matter what. But yet the disciples forgot what Jesus had commanded and put in place for them to go and do. 
And by the way, I, I, when I think about scripture and I think about this story, I've got one other question that isn't going to be answered here on earth. Like it's going to require me getting to heaven and asking God about this. But go on and, 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 and read into chapter five in Mark. And it's a story about the demoniac. And so here Jesus gets into the boat, calms the storm, rebukes the disciples, rebukes the sea, then rebukes the disciples. And he gets over to the other side. And what is waiting for him was the man that came running out towards Jesus who was demon-possessed that said, My name is Legion, for we are many. And Jesus drives out those demons from the man into the pigs, and they run, the pigs go running off of the cliff. You, you, get the, you, you know the story. And I'm always curious because at the end of that story, uh, the demoniac, who we're never given a name for, asks to go with Jesus. He wants to join Jesus and the disciples and, and, and to join Jesus' ministry. And uh, the, the people from the town come out and they tell Jesus to leave because I think they're mad that Jesus just uh, had their pigs go running off a cliff or something. But Jesus tells the, the man who was just delivered from the legion of demons, uh, no, you are to stay here and I want you to go into town and tell everybody about what was done for you. I'm just curious about this because... The, uh, that, that is an area that wasn't necessarily known for a big revival when it came to the early church and when it came to, to, to people accepting the ministry of Jesus. But just a couple years later, Saul is on the road to Damascus, right? And he's blinded by the light and uh, scales go over his eyes. And, and Jesus appears to Saul, who became Paul, and said, there is a man that is going to come to you that will pray over you. And this was a, basically the start of Paul's ministry to the Gentile, to all of the Gentiles. And uh, I just wonder because that man was a man named Ananias and he came from that region in that area. And I just, man, wouldn't that be so cool if the man that Jesus showed up to on that shore and delivered from the legion of demons ended up being Ananias who is in that story that showed up to Paul and, and uh, prayed over him and the scales fell off of Paul's eyes. There's no way to know that in scripture because we're not given a name, but how awesome would that be? If Jesus knew we got to cross the sea, go to the other side because he knew what it was going to mean to deliver that man. And ultimately, not just for that man in that town, but what if that was the same guy that entered Paul or was monumental in getting Paul into the ministry to the Gentile nation. And that is something that you and I have benefited from, right? Over the understanding of what Paul was trying to get all of us to understand. So um, just something cool to, to kind of read through. But go continue reading past Mark, going to that, have a little bit of fun. Number one, though, is God is speaking creation into your story and into our lives. Number two, to become spiritually bold God is intimately and energetically engaged in our story. You see, I don't know, again, if you're like me or not, but growing up, I always kind of viewed God as this old man that was up in the sky, you know, and, and yes, he was powerful. I always knew God was omniscient, omnipotent, uh, and, and, and uh, he, he could create anything. But for some reason, I thought that, you know, once he created the earth, how involved has he really been? Or, well, yeah, sure, he loves me, he saves me, he gave me his son, Jesus, but how involved is he really in my life? Right? I just had this bad image of, of the Father, and almost subconsciously. I never sat there and thought of that. But you know, if you were to close your eyes right now and envision what God looks like, it might tell you something similar. But in this process of trying to become spiritually bold, I have realized that God is so intimately and energetically engaged in my story. Um, I was at Hope City a couple years ago, and I received a love letter from the Father. 
okay? It was during worship, and I was right in the thick of all of this with my motorsports uh, career and what I was doing, and, and, and I was meeting celebrities left and right, people that I grew up watching on TV. Um, I was meeting businessmen, people on the Fortune 100 list, right? People that, that are billionaires, and, and, the, and those billionaires were texting back and forth with each other. I mean, hey, I, I'm meeting all of these, these people that I would have never thought I would have had necessarily the chance to call part of my network, right? I'm, I'm, I'm entertaining kings, if you will. Uh, and, and as I'm going through that, it never made me feel necessarily special or, 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 or worse or anything like that. But I, I was given this love letter from the father because I'm right knee deep into that career mo- move. And this is what Jesus told me. I was writing as fast as I could on my phone. Because normally if I hear from the father, it's one word, two words, and that's about the max. But here's what Jesus said to me. You entertain kings, Bryce, but you're meant to entertain the king. Your purpose is to entertain me. When you speak, I love to listen because I'm the one that gave you your voice. When you perform in front of thousands, I enjoy sitting in the stands and watching. I love to see you win. I love to see you learn. I love to see you in front of crowds. I love to watch you in front of cameras. I'm the one that gave you those skill sets. Other people see your joy and see you as different. I see your joy and know that I put it there for my own entertainment and to show my kids that I delight in their life. You will learn what an audience of one really means. You'll look out to the masses and you'll smile, but you'll see me clapping for you. And I'll get caught up in the drama of it all. And that last line always wrecks me. Because I think as young guys, we want to know that we've got what it takes. We want to know that we're enough. And I broke down when I got this love letter from the father because I knew that he was saying, hey, buddy, I've already declared you enough. You have what it takes because I gave you those skill sets. I'm the one that gave you those strengths. And I was sitting in, uh, I was sitting in my truck right before I went out to compete in an event. And it was up in Minneapolis at the Viking Stadium. There's 50,000 people in the stands. It was packed, packed to the brim, all the way up to the, to, to the top. And those are some of my favorite moments, by the way, when I'm sitting in, in my truck alone. I'm strapped in. I'm buckled in. It's tight, tighter than you would ever believe. I can barely breathe once I'm so tight in there. And I've got my helmet on. I'm hooked in and it's silent for me. And I'm waiting. And I spend some of, the, some of my best moments with the Father are, are in those times. But I was thinking and I was chewing on this and, 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 and this love letter from the Father and just enjoying some time with God. And I look up in the stands. I'll never forget the, the, the mental image is, is just burnt into my brain. Second level, front row, there's a glass partition. There were four seats, one on each side of the aisle. It was broken by an aisle. There's four empty chairs. And in that moment, I felt God say, we're here. Go have fun. And, and I don't know what your career is. I don't know what you do for a living. It doesn't have to be a, a, a job. It could be being the best mom, being the best dad, uh, being the best husband or wife or son or daughter. Whatever it is in life, I promise you, God is meeting you there and he is involved and he's getting a kick out of watching you live in those strengths. And, and, and uh, I would encourage all of you, by the way, if you, if you just spent half the time living in your strengths that God gave you, as you do trying to fix all of your weaknesses, I believe your whole life would change. I really do. But I'm reminded of this movie, and a lot of you have seen Chariots of Fire, and I love the movie. I saw it for the first time in high school, and and I learned this through athletics. 
but he there's a, a really cool part about a 60 second clip and, and he's passionate about running and he said god made me fast my wife will give me a hard time with my british accent my god made me fast he's talking to jenny and he said when i run i feel his pleasure and that in of itself should be a perfect picture for us enjoy this quick clip of what i'm talking about from chariots of fire i've decided I'm going back to China. The missionary service have accepted me. Oh. <laughs> oh, I'm so pleased. But I've got a lot of running to do first. Jenny. Jenny, you've got to understand. I believe that God made me for a purpose. For China. But he also made me fast. And when I run... I feel his pleasure. To give it up would be to hold him in contempt. You were right. It's not just fun. To win is to honor him. Like I said, God is intimately and energetically engaged in your story. Okay, so find pleasure in knowing and feel that pleasure in knowing that you're living in a way and living in your strengths that God has already given you. Number three, if we're going to become spiritually bold, we've got to understand and believe that God is going to blow your mind. Okay, he is able to blow your mind and he wants to blow your mind with a God-sized vision that's beyond what we can think or imagine. Ephesians 3, 20 through 21, any good Christian, right, has heard that verse. Uh, it says, God is able to do above and beyond all that we ask or think according to the power that works in us. And don't forget that last line, according to the power that works in us. It is not because we are just good enough to warrant God's blessing and his favor and his power in our lives. It is because you at some point, hopefully, have accepted the salvation of Jesus. And if that's the case, you have a power that's inside of you unlike anything else. It's the same power that created the heavens and the earth and your flesh and bone right in front of you. It's the same power and that works on our behalf. And when we believe that, you see, I, I, I think that our, it changes our whole expectations in life. I think the Achilles heel of the church today is low expectations. And most Christians, there's not a high enough expectations. They're not sure that God's going to really show up in their life and deliver the type of results. And maybe you're looking at worldly results rather than kingdom results, whatever it is. But I think low expectations is the first thing that's going to cripple your walk with the Father. Okay, I actually think self-esteem can be directly tied and is probably in direct proportion to the amount of expectation that you have in the Father and whether or not he will show up for you and he wants to show up for you. I'm reminded of a story, I love this story. It's a missionary family and they came back from overseas and they're staying at this lake house and, and some people from the church uh, let them stay there and just kind of recoup while they were here in the States. And uh, uh, this family had three kids, a 12, a seven and a five year old. The dad was outside in the shed and he was kind of working around the house as sort of a way to say thanks to the people that owned the place. And uh, this, his uh, three kids were playing out in the yard. All of a sudden, he's inside the shed, and he hears his seven-year-old daughter scream, start just screaming. He comes bolting out like any good father would do, and he saw his 12- and his 7-year-old on the pier by the lake, and he didn't see his 5-year-old. He knew immediately what was going on. 
his, his five-year-old had fallen in the lake. And he, he sprints out to the lake and he dives into the water to save his son. And he's feeling all around. And of course, it's kind of a dark, murky lake like most lakes are. And he, so he, it's not like he can see exactly where he is. He's swimming around. He's trying to find for his son. And he's starting to panic. He, he goes back up to the, the surface. He takes another gasp of air. He dives back down. He's searching frantically for his son. He's not going to give up. And just before he was almost out of breath, he just so happened to brush the side of his son's arm. And his son had grabbed onto the pier underneath the water's surface. And he grabbed his son, he got him up to the surface, and he got him up on the pier. And after he checked on him and he was okay, he said, son, what were you doing? Why were you staying underneath the water? I love his son's response. He goes, daddy, because I knew that you would come for me. And when I hear that story, it's such, a, such an easy reminder knowing that our heavenly father is coming for us. He will come for you. My question is, is your expectation matching that? Is your expectation matching God's ability? His nature is to meet you where you are today. Hebrews 4.16 says, let us approach the throne of grace with boldness. Are you approaching the throne of grace and God with boldness? Because he has already given you the right to be able to do that because of the sacrifice that his son has made and putting you in right standing with the father. You see, at some point, we all have got to come out of our prayer closet, so to speak. You know, we can't just stay in the gym hitting the punching bag all the time getting trained. At some point, we've got to step out onto the battlefield. Even Jesus himself, he spent all night praying, didn't he? But when he came out into the world, he spoke the word of creation. He commanded that the lepers be healed. He commanded that the blind see. He demanded that the devil leave. And at some point, he's expecting us to do the same thing and stepping into our world, partnering with him to affect the kingdom. Somebody out there is waiting on you and waiting on me to be able to partner with the Father to save their life. And I believe that God wants to use us and use you specifically in doing that. I believe that too many Christians, too many of us in, in, in our lives live as if Jesus is still in the grave. <laughs> Man, we just came off of an, an awesome Easter time, didn't we? And uh, it, it, those moments after Easter, we are so quickly reminded that Jesus arose. He defeated death. And the things that we get to do in this life now are so far beyond as if he, you know, if he hadn't have actually risen from the grave itself. And, and it's such an easy reminder on Easter. But what about two weeks since Easter? Are you still living that way? Okay, because I've got the best news. I've got the best news for you. Guess what? We live in a world where the tomb is empty and anything is possible. And it's time that you and I live like it. I really miss you guys. I can't wait until we're all together again. If you see a guy walking around church that has a mohawk, I think there's only one of us, all right? Uh, especially if you see somebody with a purple mohawk, please come up and say hello. Uh, we miss you guys so much. Cannot wait to be back together. I'm praying for you guys. And I hope to see you all very, very soon. God bless you.